Well, praise God, he's the one that holds us fast and not we ourselves, amen? If it were left up to us, I think we'd be out of his hand in about eight seconds. And what a joy it is to know him. Let me pray before I attempt to begin today. Our Father in heaven, assist me to proclaim your glory and your excellence. May this gathering here today of your people uh, be a people who are set upon the goal of pleasing you with their lives. May we be a people who are not just hearers of the word, but doers. May this community even know us that if they know us at all, to know us by our love for one another, to know that this is a maybe a strange gathering of people even, but of people who are devoted not just to your word, but to one another. We know, Lord, that you are good, that you do good, and you show us in so many ways. Thank you for holding fast to us, we wandering sheep that we are, who would love to get out from the fold and out from your love and safety and would love to be out doing our own thing and ruin our own lives. Father, praise your name that you never let go of us, that you're always searching for us. You're, you're a, a good father who goes after the prodigal. Thank you, Father, for all that you are, for all that you've done, and may this time together be an encouragement to your saints. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles now to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 opens with this statement, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. I don't know what your conception, what your, your thought process, what you imagine when you, when you think of Christianity, but most people don't think of freedom. That's not what comes up in their mind. They think of rules or regulations or law or, or something. I don't know what they think of or, or what I think of quite often, but our imaginations in many ways are the epicenter of who we end up becoming. Uh, what you imagine controls much of your reality. What you hope for, what you see before you. If you think heaven, for example, is just going to be a bunch of little naked small babies floating around on clouds playing harps, you're not much inclined to want to do that. If you conceptualize uh, a heaven as being a place where basically it's a song service for eternity, then you're, most of us that don't and aren't very good at singing don't get all that excited about that idea. If that's as large as your imagination is, as to what heaven is, you're likely to be unmotivated. It's, a, it's an incredible thing that this isn't a one-off statement that Paul makes here in Galatians 5, verse 1. Uh, one of our favorite verses is John 8, 36. You know that, I mean, Christ, if he sets you free, you'll be what? Free indeed. True freedom. Now, freedom is a very vague word. When you throw that out there, I, I, the ideas that, that come up are varied. I mean, you think of politicians' speeches and, and stuff like that. You think of uh, maybe the Constitution or, or some things that are in, in line with that. The Bill of Rights. I kind of think of William Wallace. Any of you that remember forever ago when I first preached a sermon back in like 1999 or something like that, I, I gave the whole speech from William Wallace where he yells at the end, What? 
Yeah, you guys are anemic, man. Come on. Freedom! Right? And he screams it out. And that resonates with almost everybody because what do we want? We want freedom. There's a part of us when you read through Judges and it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That we're kind of like, man, that'd be sweet. I mean, the number of things that are taxed, regulated, and ruled in our country are just, new, are just so plentiful, it's insane, especially for a people who pride themselves on being the land of the free. Uh, freedom is such a nebulous concept most of the time, and we have to define our terms the way the Bible does as Christians, or we will always be confused. The world has convoluted powerful terms like love and turned it into who knows what. For some people, it's just a subjective idea. This is how I feel today. This is, you know, what, what I feel like right now. That's love. That's, or tolerance is love and so on and so forth. But if you have those definitions, you always arrive at wrong conclusions. In the Bible, the picture we have of freedom Actually, you could, you could express it in the negative. Consider the, the most free people that ever existed, Adam and Eve. And how did they descend into slavery, into bondage? Sin. Sin was that bondage. Before that time, before they descended into sin, they lived in a constant state of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's where they resided. See, oftentimes when we think of freedom, what we think of, what conjures up in the mind, is some expression of personal autonomy, personal governance of self. No one else is going to govern me but me. I do what I think is right, and no one's going to tell me otherwise. I just listened to a very famous preacher yesterday who went on to express his apparent understanding of freedom is basically to be able to do whatever he wants without anybody casting judgment. First of all, I thought, well, you're in a weird line of work, standing in front of a whole crowd of people. And then he said in the course of his uh, rant, because it wasn't something from Scripture, in the course of his rant, he said, oh, gosh, I'm so sick of church people. And then right after that, he took the Lord's name in vain in expressing his point. And you're like, what in the world is going on? This is one of the most famous preachers in America. Weird. His understanding of freedom was, I should be able to do what I want, and you shouldn't be able to judge me. What are we talking about? Is that derived from the page of Scripture? Is that the, the picture that is, that is painted for us from the Word of God? Paul says in verse 1, Galatians 5, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, that being the case, keep standing firm. There is a need in our day and age, especially for men, to stand firm, to stand up, to proclaim, to not yield, to not back down, to not bend or break. As we bend to the culture and to society, what we're doing is we're descending further into bondage. We're not rising to freedom as we do this, as we bend to every little whim and desire of culture. Instead, we become more and more enslaved 
Keep standing firm so you don't lose that freedom. And do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery that was being brought upon the Galatians as a group of people following after Paul. Wherever the truth went, false teachers followed thereafter. Always the case, nothing new under the sun. Wherever the truth goes, there's going to be a lie trying to come in behind it to try to be disseminated and cast around and try to pull off those who weren't really getting it. They, what were they disseminating among the people? This idea that, yes, you can be a Christian, but the real Christians actually go back under the law somewhat and get circumcised or other such things. They still continue to follow areas of the law. And Paul just decimates that argument as he goes through Galatians. He comes down to verse 7 and he says something that every, every pastor... Every missionary, everyone who's ever discipled anyone, which is everyone in this room probably, you've tried to guide someone in the truth, you've seen them run well, you've seen them grab hold of the gospel and their life is changed and and you're excited about what's going on and then you see the stall, the depressing stall out where they just don't care much anymore. They went from sitting at, you know, visually, you, you in the balcony might be mad at me for this, but you'll forgive me, I think. You go from visually being very interested in what, like, a teacher has to say on the front row, you know, and you're taking notes or, or something along that line, you're just dialed in, to, you know, after a little while, you start to move back. Maybe not physically, maybe you're still sitting on that front row, but mentally, you're moving back. You're not as interested, you're not as engaged, and you keep moving further out of the room. You see that happen, and if you've been around long enough as a child of God and you watch people fall off, it just breaks your heart. I can't imagine how Paul feels. He sees this people who were running well just start to lose it. And over what? To go back into slavery. To go back into bondage and rules that don't apply to them. We're always, I think one of the biggest issues as a parent is trying to convince your children that you're on their team and that maybe this ridiculous culture isn't. It's very hard to convince them, though, that maybe you have a more vested interest in their well-being than their knucklehead friend who's got nothing to do with it, and it doesn't really matter to them how their life turns out. See, for mom and dad, every decision your kids are making, you care. You want to see them run well. And anyone that gets in the way of that, man, that breaks your heart. It worries you, concerns you. I don't know how many discussions I've had with my kids about, buddy, listen to me. I'm on your team. When I tell you to wear deodorant, (laughs) I'm not the bad guy. I'm helping you out in life. I'm not trying to, you know, make your life hard or difficult for you. I'm trying to assist. Now, you'll have to bear with me for a little bit of foolishness here for a moment. My favorite dad speech, I have a highlight, I guess, in my mind, um, my favorite dad speech was years ago. Um, 
one of my sons was completely misunderstanding what I wanted for him in life. And I was explaining to him, buddy, what I want is for you to be able to get on your bicycle, ride off, not just out of our driveway, but down the road, and the Sanchez live right next door, past the Sanchez, you know, kind of in his brain, that might be the limit. Past the Sanchez, ooh, you know, a door down. I want you to be able to ride off on your bike, down the street, off the corner, all the way out, and free. Going out and doing your thing. You seem to think what I want is to keep you here. You seem to think what I want is for you never to get to leave. That's not it at all. But the story got a little better because the boy had also gotten a rash on his bottom uh, at some point. And um, it was very awkward. Like I said, bear with me a little foolishness here. Uh, It was awkward because I had to check his bottom to make sure that he was doing things properly. Because he had to go to the doctor about this, right? And um, I said, son, you're mad at me about checking your bottom. As if that's what I want to do with my life. (laughs) As if I'm the villain in this story, and I, as your dad, what I'd really love to do is check your undercarriage. That's what I look forward to in life. When I wake up in the morning, I'm like, ooh, can I check? I mean, what in the world is going on? And I said, son, what I want for you is freedom. I don't want this in your life. I don't want you to have to have me check your undercarriage. That's not a dream of mine. I said, what I want for you, son, is butt-wiping freedom. My favorite dad speech. What I want for you is to be free from this. And the craziest idea, and this sounds absurd, is that anyone would ever think that's what their dad wants. And somehow he's in the way. We look at God in so much worse, so much more gross ways at God than than my son ever looked at me. God is not the enemy in your walk day after day. He's not in the way. He's not setting up arbitrary rules and regulations because he somehow loves this junk. Because he loves that to check in on you in that way. What God longs for you in your life is this freedom to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Isn't every pursuit of some form of religion or something. Isn't this kind of the highest attainment that people want? Doesn't everyone wish that they could have a true love, joy that doesn't dissipate with the situation and circumstance of life? Doesn't everyone want to have peace? Which of us enjoys being impatient with traffic? Which of us enjoys road rage? and hostility, grumbling, whining, and complaining about weather and and news and all. Who wants that? And yet, we act like somehow God wants us to not have these things. He's told us how to attain. And yet, we, so much like the Galatians, 
though we were running well, have allowed those to come in who hinder us, as he says in verse 7, from obeying the truth. Paul's point here in verse 7, you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth, is to draw a contrast. Look, I came and I brought you the gospel that gave you freedom and joy and peace. And someone else came along, some Johnny-come-lately, and they gave you a new thing. They gave you some new teaching. And look where it's taking you. And you're somehow acting like this is better. And there we are quite often in our lives. We act like God is somehow the enemy, somehow, even though we're his children, that he's not really on our team. We act foolishly. And we fail to consider who it is that would come in and hinder us from obeying the truth, from rejoicing in that gospel that has once for all been handed down to us. God wants freedom for us. He wants us to stand firm in that, to not to allow false teachers, not to allow the devil or our own flesh to get in the way of such things. And his confidence here hopefully is not misplaced, as he says in verse 10. And then he says now in verse 13, in returning to his subject from verse 1, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So you have legalists and you have licentious people. You have two ditches. You have two directions that oftentimes we go. We go into legalism, that is a love of law, or we go into licentiousness, which is really a love of personal autonomy. I will do what I want. And there's this tension between these things. I have the license to do whatever I want, or you got to follow all of these rules in order to be a true godly person. We invent constant rules and regulations. We invent an innumerable number of things to, uh, to try to prove what good Christians we are. We even add in things that they're good things, like reading your Bible every day. Um, I'm a big advocate for reading your Bible every day. At the same time, that is not how you attain righteousness. Uh, that, that is important to get a hold of. Otherwise, if we fail to understand that, we fail to understand, oh, I don't know, the first thousand years or so of Christians who were unable to read their Bible every day? Uh, does that mean they were all in sin if they were unable to read their Bible every day? See, we add all kinds of good things in there, and we can create all types of legalistic understandings of these things. I think you, you ought to desire to be in the word daily. I think that makes sense, but that would be true of any relationship you have in life. If you just daily decided, I don't want to talk to my wife, well, that would be pretty messed up marriage. I'm only going to talk to her every now and then. That'd be kind of strange. It wouldn't be a very close relationship. It would express some points, but I can't even add something as, as holy, you might say, as Bible reading into a category like this of legalism. It can become such things. And then, the, as I said on the, the licentious side, on the other side of this, I got a license, I can do whatever it is that I want. Well, that's the other side of this. Uh, but sometimes I've made the mistake of thinking that somehow the way to walk in the Spirit is not to go in either one of those ditches. The problem is, 
the, the legalist loves the law and isn't looking at Christ. They actually truly love the law. The problem with the licentious person, again, is they, they love their personal freedom. They're not really looking at Christ. Neither one of those is the right move. The, the, the solution isn't to somehow find yourself in the middle. I've run a lot of games over the years with youth group, you know, young people. And you'll have those kids that when you're playing the game, some of them love the rules. They want to make sure everybody follows the rules. And you've got the other kid, he doesn't care about the rules. All he does is want to have fun. The, the solution isn't to get the, the legalist kid to just have a little bit of fun. And the, the kid over here to just understand the value of the rules. That's not the, the solution in Christian living. Maybe it is for a game, for dodgeball, but that's not the true, that's not the, the way to live life as a Christian. Your eyes must be focused on Christ alone. Or these other things will step in and rob you of the freedom that you have in Christ. You were called to freedom, brethren, verse 13. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Use that freedom as an opportunity to look out for others. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the law comes up under that heading. How is it possible that love can be the summation of all those 613 laws in the Old Testament? Because if you step over into what it looks like to walk in the Spirit in verse 22, because love would look like, fulfilling the law would look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You get it. It says in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Here this, this people group who had descended into bondage had now found themselves in a place where they're biting and devouring one another. And yet I think, here's my speculation, yet I think they would have believed that they were walking in the Spirit. If you take verse 16 just by itself, you just parachute in, grab that verse, slap it on a wall, whatever you want to do, it would be easy to misconstrue it in a direction that you want. He says, but I say to you, walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's a nice nebulous statement there. And if it was given by itself alone, without context, without any follow-up, it would be easy for people just to use this while well, I'm walking in the spirit, even though you're biting and devouring. What, what are we talking about? You've always got a bad attitude. You rarely are excited about the things of Christ, so on and so forth. I don't see the fruit of the Spirit, but you would say, well, yeah, but I'm walking in the Spirit. Really? Well, the wonderful thing is that this statement of verse 16 isn't just given to us by itself. It then gives us the evidence of what it is to, to know if you're full of baloney. He says in verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. A very frequent concept brought up in Scripture. Romans 7 is maybe the most famous place that would illustrate this in further detail. Uh, Peter also expresses this same point that your, the, your members, your flesh, your members within you set their, their uh, war against you. They war against you. Here, the flesh and the spirit we see very clearly are going to battle. And going to fight, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But, 
If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the litmus test, the proving ground, the authenticating marks of whether you are truly in the Spirit or just deceiving yourself, which we are absolute masters at doing. We're absolute masters of doing this. Jeremiah 17.9 is still alive and well. The heart is desperately sick above all else who can know it. God can know it. I can't know it. I can't know my own heart. If I dig in there, I don't really know if I'm even telling myself the truth. We lie to ourselves all the time. We deceive ourselves about past events, about current realities, about discussions we've had with our wife. We deceive ourselves all the time. So what is the test to prove if I'm, if I'm real or not, if I really am walking with Christ in the Spirit? He says, look, verse 19, the deeds of the flesh are evident. There's evidence to back this up. What are they? These deeds are obvious. It is immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. This is hardly an exhaustive list. But this is a list of things that would have been very much known to them. And if we dissect them at all, we see them in our own lives. He says they're beginning with immorality. That's the most general word for any type of sexual behavior outside of marriage. This is the word we arrive at. This is pornea, the word we come up with or that we use for pornography. Uh, This is the most general word for that. What is a a sign that one is not in the spirit, but in fact walking in the flesh? Well, do you have any immorality? Is it tolerated in your life as you're walking in your way? I love the the visual that is given to us, the word picture that's given to us in verse 6 when he just says, walk by the spirit. The most daily form of movement, walk. And of course, in their world, you didn't have the cars and whatnot everywhere. You had to walk everywhere. It's the daily mode of transportation. As you're going, as you're doing, as you're living life, is there immorality of any kind? And as if to put a finer point on it, he adds a couple somewhat synonyms to it. He says impurity. Um, I, what I imagine here in my own thinking is uh, Maybe you've entertained things or you've acted on things in the immorality category. Now when we're talking about impurity, you're talking about even the things you've allowed before your eyes, the movies you watch, the things you allow your eyes to to dwell upon and to rest upon. Is there impurity there? And furthermore, sensuality, that is doing what the body wants, the urges and desires of the body. Now this term originally started in its more vague terminology as I just used it, just following whatever urge comes your way, but over time it, be, it definitely became more in its uh, use of the word in the category of sexual behavior. So these first three line up with the discussion regarding sexual behavior. Is there any immorality? Uh, we've condemned through the years Sexual sin that's, that's obvious, uh, the church historic. Um, homosexual behavior or any of that kind of stuff has been very much on blast. But have we tolerated lesser forms, thereby allowing for greater forms? Of course. 
Is there immorality, impurity, or sensuality tolerated in your life? Well, then you can know for sure you're in the flesh. What about idolatry? Uh, idolatry, oftentimes, we might fail to consider the depths of here in America because we don't see a ton of people dropping down in, in front of idols. Uh, you could argue that much further, but you know, the, India is about to become the most populous nation in the world. They're rapidly approaching China in that, uh, that category, and that is a nation full of idolatry. This text is anything but out of date. And then, as I said, if you were to take it over into American uh, mindset, we're, we have idols all over the place. That which we allow to reign over God or become more important than God is an idol. So do we have any idolatry in our life? And your idolatry could be as simple as your daily schedule, your own daily entertainments and choices that you're making. Do you have any idolatry here? Well, then you can know you're walking in the flesh. He says further, sorcery. Sorcery, in a lot of ways, came down to kind of the, the witch doctor, medicine man kind of category that uh, we might not think a whole lot of, but this would fall very much in line with a lot of the psych psychedelic and psychotropic drugs, mood-altering drugs and things that are in that category that they would take for recreational purpose and, and value. There was a time back in the 60s during the, the very early hippie movement where uh, the taking of LSD in particular was thought to be a, a, a bridge to enlightenment. It was so, so much so that there was a plan afoot to try to lace the water pipes, the, the water lines in San Francisco with LSD. There was an actual effort afoot to try to pull that off. They thought, you know, if, if we can get everyone high, life will be great. Uh, I did my time with that stuff, and I can tell you life wouldn't be great, but most people aren't willing to listen to that. They've got to learn the hard way. And here he's saying, look, if, if that's your mode of life, to be in that realm, you're in the flesh. Deceive yourself all you want, but let's pull back the mask. He says enmities, which is very much related to the next word, which is strife. Fussing, fighting, arguing, discussing energetically the, the issues of our world. Uh, when you are engaged online, you put something out there, and somebody says, well, you're a moron. What do you respond with? When you're engaged with, with someone in, in a, where they push back against you, a boss or, or a child or something like that, when they push back, what's, what's coming out of you? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Is it this love, joy, peace, patience? Is that the, the response that, that's coming out of you as you respond to this problem? Or is it enmity and strife? Is your home peaceful? Or is it loaded with friction? Is it loaded with just grinding, like a cheese grater? And do, you, do, people, do the people in your home tend to feel relaxed to be together? See, this is kind of meddling in your life. You can count on it if that's what your home life is like. If that's what your life is like, it's full of these... these Faction, or um, excuse me, with enmities and strife, count on it. You're in the flesh. Further, he, he goes on to say jealousy, which is connected really to outbursts of anger. A jealous person very rarely is going to contain all of that. They don't always 
lash out, but that's jealousy is just this envy. I want what others have. I want it to myself and for no one else. Outbursts of anger. Are you a hot-headed person? You fly off the handle when things don't go your way, even mild things? I've seen this in my own life. I, I, uh, there was a time where I didn't play basketball, for example, for about a decade because I didn't contain the hostility. But a crazy thing arrived at, and I arrived at in my brain when I finally was able to overcome most of that is that I realized that my example, my testimony mattered more than winning the game. It mattered more that I honored Jesus, even in competitive sports, than it did to, to, to win. That was very hard to get through my head. It's very simple, but it's very hard to get through. What I found there is exactly what I'm trying to put our focus toward, and that is the only way for me to really change wasn't just to you know, write everything down and do a diary of my problems. It was to focus the attention on the right thing. I don't want to do that. I knew that much. But more than that, what I want to do is please the Lord. And I also don't want these young people who I was responsible for to look at my example and think that I somehow don't honor the Lord in this area. I've got a caveat where it's okay to not live as he's told me. Not saying I have total victory in that. I'm saying I learned a little bit of what it was to have freedom in playing a sport. I had freedom finally to, to enjoy that thing when I had the right focus in my mind. Now you could ask my boys, you could ask uh, the youth group here and there when I still do some events and stuff, uh, have I always kept my temper and tongue? Probably not. But I have attempted and I have made that my focus and my goal and it's changed everything about that. Now I have freedom to enjoy those things in a way that I didn't before. That's a wonderful victory. It's a, one of those little victories you've got to celebrate along the way. He says further, after looking at jealousy and outbursts of anger, he looks at disputes and dissensions. Do you like stirring the pot? It's okay to do that to a certain extent. It's okay, especially among a, a friend or two, to, to be able to, to have the back and forth. I get that. But if it's actually a dispute, where it's moved into this whole, you are a feisty person who has to be right. You're not walking in the spirit. Dissensions, factions, those two go together. I mean, we don't really need to illustrate factions much more than just look at our political system and look how ridiculously divided they are. And then we'll look at our own lives and consider if we're doing much of the same, are we contributing to that same noise in the room? Further, he says, envying, wanting what others have. If you are not content in your station with what God has given you and you're always looking over what other people have, that is in the flesh. Drunkenness, carousing, these two go together. Uh, drunkenness and carousing were very much you know, partners. He says, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, as I went through that list in my own study, I was thinking, man, who in the world can get off the mat? If you're looking at that properly, do you really think you pass that test of, of not ever having immoral, impure, sensual thoughts and actions? And 
we can go through the rest of them too, but I'm not going to because of time. But the key word in this is practice. He says, I forewarned you about that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is this your mode of operation? Is this how you carry out your life? Or is this something you recognize, you say you, you realize you need to repent from and turn away from back to walking in the spirit? You know, there's a time in my life before I got married when I thought I was a pretty holy dude. You know, I thought I was doing really well. I thought, you know, I kind of had my stuff together. Then I got married. And then we had four little kids. What were we thinking? You know, and the, the thing you realize in home life, probably more than anything, is how much you are unwilling to tr- do the first aspect of, of walking in the spirit, which is love. The word used here is agape, the, the word that is the, the highest form, you might say, of love, the most volitional, most active choosing of love. This is when I lay down myself, my desire, my need for someone else. If I'm actually walking in the, the spirit, what's that going to look like? What's going to start as its fountainhead with love? I'm willing to sacrifice for those in my life those around me, I love them, I truly care about them. And more than, or not more than that, but along with that, there comes what else? Joy. Not something that comes and goes with the times, not something that, that is here today, gone tomorrow, but something that resides within our soul, that we have a, a joy in the midst of pain and trial and tribulation. We go through our, our list here at church. We have a prayer sheet that most of you have or have access to. And you see the many people hurting. And oftentimes you might wonder, how can I pray for such people? I'm not in the the problem they're in. One of the things that, that I often pray for is, Lord, in the midst of their pain, as bad as it is, may the fruit of the Spirit be manifest. May it be seen. May they have a joy in a hospital bed or like one of our shut in people who watches live stream. May they have a joy in the middle of that, a a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit that is evident that they can then bear testimony to those in their limited health care reign, the people that happen to be around them. May that be evident that they might speak of the glory of the God who saved them, who can provide them with the impossible. I think many times the error that I've had is in thinking that in walking in the spirit, what I'm going to have is like an answer to what to, to do for the day, where to go, what career to have, and, and what college to choose, or what clothes to put on. I don't know what it is that's in your head, but many times, it, depending on the author, they'll talk about walking in the spirit in very mystical terms. When it comes down to it, the, the greatest of gifts that God gives us is right here. In this fruit of the Spirit. God might not tell you whether to buy the Buick or the, or the Cadillac, but what he will give you is regardless of what you buy, if that car is a lemon, if that car is a piece of junk, if that furnace breaks in your house, if, if that thing that you thought mattered doesn't work out well, you can still have, regardless of the problem, the fruit of the Spirit in it. So you get the bad car. That doesn't mean now you're a grumbler, whiner, complainer. That means you still have love, joy, peace, and patience in it. You buy a bad house, man, that's a bummer. You know, you bought a house that was, you sold a bill of goods and you realized, well, I got duped. 
So now what? Now you descend into the nonsense of the world and walk out in the deeds of the flesh? No. What God has given you is the greatest of gifts. What he's given me is this ability to walk in the Spirit, to, to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. What a wonderful thing that is. And we need people in our lives that will actually speak about that. There was a time, one of the a really encouraging things happened in my life once. Um, a transmission blew out on my van. <laughs> Does that sound really encouraging to you? A transmission blew out on my van. And I, I guess I handled it well because a young man came to me and he said, Brian, that was awesome. I was like, what are you talking about? The transmission blew up. He goes, no, you, you handled it well. Like You didn't get mad. You didn't flip out. And on he went saying things that probably weren't true, you know, saying kind things to me on that level. But it was really encouraging to my soul because I didn't know I was doing that. I didn't even think about it. That's what family life ought to be somewhat loaded with. Encouraging one another as we see the manifestation of, of the fruit of the Spirit to say, son, I like that as you dealt with that problem, it didn't go your way. You lost, in the board, you lost a monopoly. Anybody enjoy that? You know, playing Monopoly with the family? Okay, but your kid does well in responding to losing? That's the time to, to say something. Or if they win well, it's, it's sometimes easier to be a, a good loser than a good winner. And to point out the, the fruit that you're seeing in their life is so encouraging. Our church body needs more of that kind of interaction with one another. In your small group tonight, I would encourage you to look for those kinds of signs. Start a new line of, of conversation with the people in your life where you're trying to speak of what you see God doing in their life. What a joyful uh, bit of encouragement that can be. What a desire that could encourage in people to come to a small group when that's what small group behavior is like. Not abiding and devouring, not a descending into further enslavement, but instead an opportunity now to encourage one another. As he said, don't use this freedom that you have. Don't use this freedom into a license, but instead serve one another. Serve. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are the expressions of what true freedom looks like. That's the kind of freedom that God offers you. A freedom from sin. A freedom to walk in newness of life. Now that is fresh air in a world of pollutants. That is a wonderful message from God's word. And I hope it encourages your soul like it does mine. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gifts that you give that are beyond what we could ask or think. Lord, we would ask for physical things. We would ask for more material possessions or, or other uh, physical manifestations like that. But Lord, you give such greater things. We pray not only for ourselves, but for saints all around the world, that they would grab hold of what this passage teaches, that we would all joyfully walk in the Spirit, repudiating the deeds of the flesh, refusing to delight ourselves in the, the things of this world. Lord, help us to follow your word to walk in newness of life and in the spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.